Welcome back. Welcome everyone to the Fastest Known Podcast, where we speak for about 45 minutes with some of the fastest people in the world. Today, of course, is no exception. So I'm going to give you a quick hint. Who is the best U.S. male ultra runner in history? Hopefully you're going to get this answer correct. I'll give you a quick hint. This person won the Western States 100 seven times in a row. That ain't ever going to happen again. I'm speaking with Scott Jurek. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Buzz. It's good to be here. Um, although, you never know. Jim's uh, Jim's got three already, so. <laughs> don't Jim don't has rule Jim's that out. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Jim's yeah, got three, but exactly. seven, seven is seven is showing something else. And of course, no one's going to do it in a row. That's in my opinion, that this is, uh, you're, you're going to hold on to the seven in a row. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty used to records being broken and uh, streaks uh, <laughs> disappearing over time. Like, I don't even, yeah, I don't think I hold any more uh, course records out there. It's pretty interesting. I think the, the final one fell, but um, it's fun to see that. And that's what, you know, the sport is all about, the progression of it. And things, uh, things getting faster, things um, getting improved upon. And yeah, it's, it's a fun time right now. It is. Running. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. And indeed, that's what's FKTs are about. And you, of course, recently went back the second time on the Appalachian Trail. I'm going to just put a little context in with this. You and Ginny went out there in 2015. I really like what you said about that. It was sort of an on-site project. That's climber terminology where you don't uh, beta the route. You just, you and Ginny said, hey, let's go do this. And Needless to say, you, your efficiency was not optimum, as it wouldn't be, but you got the FKT. So that was, that was a good effort. In the written show notes will be a link to your book, North, Finding My Way on the Appalachian Trail, um, which you and Ginny co-authored. And, oops, I got to put this in here, Scott. You and Ginny, we talked about this in our third ever podcast. This oh, really? is huh. number 156. So you were number three, and now you're number 156. So I, I kind of like this. You're, you're providing a good bookend here. That's true. I didn't realize. Wow, you've been busy. <laughs> I there were that many in between. I remember it was early on, but I didn't know it was number three. But wow, yeah, time flies, I guess. <laughs> time flies. So let's let's get let's get back to this now. You. During that podcast, which we're going to link to in our written show notes, you said, if I may quote, we didn't have all the beta. We wanted the full adventure. If we were to go back, we would do a million things different, but it was a great experience and exactly what we needed. This time you did go back and Scott, you were going to throw down. You were going for a sub 40 days, which has never been done. So fill us in. I mean, this, I mean, there's many, many questions here, but I think you can just help fill us in. Yeah, I mean, the obviously having been on the trail once back in 2015 and then helping Carl Meltzer, um, who, by the way, Carl came out for two weeks on my um, trip. And, you know, when you mentioned like we on-sited it, I mean, I didn't even ask Carl about <laughs> the trail. I mean, I'd heard bits and pieces over the years from him, you know, with his first couple of attempts and just how, um, you know, Carl was just so passionate about the AT and having uh, grown up in New Hampshire, just the trail was really special for him. So I knew a little bit, but he was just shocked that I didn't contact him to, to get some beta. Um, but I just, I just felt that it was out of, I don't know. I'm just maybe old school that way. I was just out of respect. Um, didn't, I definitely knew I didn't know everything about the AD. It was more like, Hey, I don't want Carl's cliff notes because I know how hard he worked for those. And I think, you know, there are a lot of times people like, Oh, I just asked this person and I'll ask this person. I think it's great to pass down info. Like David Horton, I talked to him a little bit about the AT, but in general, um, you know, and I'd read books over the years, ultra running magazine articles, but um, we really just wanted to have an adventure, I think, more than anything. And I just wanted to respect those that came before me and just didn't really feel like, okay, I've got to learn this on my own. And this time around, having had that experience of not preparing, um, this time I wanted to, I think it's with a lot of my career, like Western States 100 going back seven times, there is a beauty and a 
uh, a really useful tool to go back to the same event over and over again in that you can gauge uh, your knowledge that you're learning, your wisdom that you're gaining, uh, how you can do things differently. So for me, um, while it took me six years to go back, um, and it wasn't in the cards per se, Jenny was like a one and done deal. She was not, she wasn't um, game to go back to the AT until this past year, I was really convincing her of it and realizing like, okay, she, she totally got it. Like finally, rather than do something different, why don't we you know, go back to the AT? And um, it was such, such a special adventure that first time around. And it was a little risky too, because you know we had this great, adventure, even though things could have been approved upon, it's also risky. Like, you know, it's a different experience. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think that's, that's what's like fun about it is going back to something, you know, somewhat, but 2,200 miles is a hard thing to like have down, you know, in the memory bank. But there were a lot of things I wanted to try differently. Um, and I kind of put it together still rather quickly. It wasn't something I prepared for all year. Um, it was something I did over the course of, I don't know, four or five months and just realized like, okay, I'm not getting younger and having focused on, you know, family, I've got a three and a five-year-old now. Um, it was like, okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to be uh, able to do these things probably for too much longer in terms of breaking records. So let's go for it. So I had people in place and, and had a, a crew assembled and decided, let's, let's do this thing again. Um, and nice. I felt like I was, yeah. Well, let me ask you about the different things. So I, the previous time, you're extremely popular ultra runner, of course. And my recollection is you had you know, people kind of following you around. And, you know, you're a super nice guy. So you gave them a little bit of your time each day. Did you try to pare that back this time? Because as we know, there's this relentless forward motion aspect where it's not so much how fast you're moving. It's how many minutes per day you are moving. So did you try to tighten up the schedule a little bit? Um, I did, you know, that there was that element that did potentially slow me down. There's no question. I, I was doing a lot of things that <laughs> I probably shouldn't have been, you know, having conversations with people, taking photos and, um, engaging in that. And there's also some things too, like, you know, did it also provide energy and, uh, was that, you know, a benefit? So it, it did come with a, you know, a plus and a minus, but for the most part this time around, I wasn't going to this is what was unique to this time. I, I did plan on um, being very public still. I feel very strongly about um, live tracking being public from the get-go. Um, I did have to keep it off. That's why it was announced a few days in because those who know, I'm not going to go into those details, but I did have some issues with the state park in Maine uh, last time around. And um, it was just best for me to keep quiet in the start. And then, as you know, we head into the the main 100 mile wilderness and there's not a lot of reception to get posts out and to give updates. Um, so I, I really kept things quiet for the first few days, um, partly because of necessity with, uh, <laughs> the, where you, uh, start in the, uh, Northern terminus of the AT and what happened last time. And then the other issue is just didn't have a lot of reception. So, but the plan, um, as I announced, like the plan was to open it up again, live tracking. And then, what I was going to try doing a bit more is really get pe across to people like, Hey, I want you to you know, feel like you can be a part of this adventure via online live tracking, social media. Um, because again, I feel like with all FKT attempts, it should be live for the public. I think that's how we can best um, scrutinize, um, you know, make things very valid. And I, I'm a big believer that if anybody wants to scrutinize what I'm doing, it should be out in the open. Um, will it slow me down? Um, you know, I just think that's the price certain individuals, like certain individuals that have a big following um, have to pay for setting FKTs. Like live tracking should be something like across the board. Um, I think some people will use me as an example of like, oh, I don't want to have what happened with like Jurek. And I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many people out there would have the type of people that come out or depending upon the trail that you are, you know, there's different, you know, would you get as many people on the CDT or PCT versus the AT? Probably not. Um, so that was going to be something I was going to have my crew manage a bit more. I did have more help that way. It wasn't just Jenny and I for a bunch of the trip. Um, 
and having to mitigate, okay, how much time am I, you know, taking care of? I mean, I'd wake up sometimes and there'd be five, six people waiting at the van that wanted to run with me last time in 2015. And this time around, I think we had a pretty good system in place that my crew is going to really let people know like, Hey, you know, Scott's out there doing his job and we have to make sure that that's happening. So if you want to take a quick photo, you've got to do it, you know, selfie style on your own. He's not going to be able to stop. Um, so we had a pretty good, I think system. We didn't get to test that in terms of in the very populous parts of the trail, but I felt like we were ready to, to handle those, um, you know, situations, but we, we still weren't going to tell people like, Hey, don't come out. Um, because I'm also, a lot of people wanted to capture some, I mean, it's like spectating on an ultra, um, you don't want to tell people like, Hey, you can't watch this race right now. So it is a fine line. And I feel like we had some good, um, systems in place and I was using a new tracking device, um, as well as keeping that, um, again, public, because I, I do feel like that's an important piece nowadays for speed records and, and how we, how the public can view it. Cause as you know, you're the, you're someone who sits and tries to analyze data after you just can't take, you know, the hours that it takes to data, analyze data for 40 some days. And I think that gets really tricky. So I think it should happen in real time. And we've had instances where people have, um, tried to, uh, cheat and do things. And it was live tracking and people going out and, and viewing what they were doing and, and catching people. So, um, I think it's, it's a really key part of things. So it was Thanks. something like, again, wanted to watch what I was doing in terms of like losing time and not uh, being efficient, but we were going to definitely be a bit more efficient on how, how I handled uh, people coming out on the trail. Well said, and I appreciate your perspective on live tracking. And I really like what you said that uh, you can't tell people not to watch. Like, what, what, huh, what? So thanks. Uh, well said, Scott. Now, another aspect, by the way, you were our third ever podcast. Our second ever podcast was with Carl Sabe which is kind of interesting. We had a great conversation. He gave me the ins and outs of how he just had that insane 41 day time. And I said, so, I mean, how would you do it? I mean, you, this was faster. This was five days faster than Scott Jerk. And he, he had a really interesting immediate response, Scott. He said, well, I'm younger. He didn't say I'm better. I'm faster. I'm tougher. I'm da, 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 da. No, no, no. He said, Scott's older than me. Now, I was like, Wow. That's very interesting comment that Carl made. And in a person-to-person conversation, maybe 10 years ago, you told me you weren't planning to run past the age of 40. Now you're 47. So I'm guessing this might have played a little role. And I'm going to add further context. You at least were a licensed physical therapist. You really know nutrition in your body. So how did you work with this aging factor? What did you pump up in your training or just in your training going in? Well, I think, you know, uh, Karel definitely, you know, has a point. I think, you know, there is somewhat to the age, but I'm a big believer. I didn't want to be doing this stuff when I was in my twenties. In fact, I had so many, uh, very wise and experienced ultra runners, whether it was David Horton or my buddy, Rob McNair. I mean, all these individuals who had experienced uh, multi-day efforts, speed records, uh, the trans America, um, these events that really take a toll on a body. And then I, I haven't talked to Pete Kostelinik about his, you know, where he is right now post running uh, across the U S at a very young age. But a lot of my buddies were like, you got to wait till you're older, wait till the end of your career. So I had a lot of things I wanted to accomplish. Um, and I think there have been some individuals like Killian who decided to you know, do the, the Tahoe rim trail or, or do the, um, the trans Corsica route, but in general, there haven't been a lot of young ultra runners. Um, and I think, again, if you're focused on running hundred miles, 50 miles, 50 Ks or, or whatever it is, um, I don't know if running speed records is really the best thing for that speed. So, um, for me, I knew I wanted to wait till later. And when I was saying, Oh, I want to be done when I'm 40, most likely I was going to have my best hundred mile races before 40. And this was the stuff I wanted to save till later. So to answer your question, um, I think, yeah. Yes. Carl, Carl is right that the body does bounce back a little quicker. However, I think you can mitigate that with the proper nutrition, taking care of your body, the wisdom from experience. Um, you know, Carl and I have had some conversations about his first uh, speed record. And even though he was younger, there are a lot of things, you know, he learned from that experience that he did 
maybe not so correctly and had a lot of issues much like somebody in their forties would have. So um, I think it's a, it's an interesting um, piece. Like how do we decrease? So this time around, I definitely focused a lot on strengthening. I focused a lot on specificity, um, durability training, making sure I was ready. Um, and unfortunately <laughs> I had an injury uh, fairly early. And I think some of that had to do with starting in the North and the type of terrain that you encounter right away. Um, you basically throw yourself into the fire, uh, so to speak. And, you know, you don't get warm by putting your head in a furnace. Um, and that's essentially what you do when you start in the North. Um, you just, you know, you're right away, you know, going up these, uh, very technical climbs, dropping down, very technical uh, descents. And there's just no, there's no real like leeway if you do get an injury. Um, down in the south, I was able to walk off an injury with 40 plus mile days. And up north, you just can't do that. I mean, you just slow down to one or two miles an hour. And if you can't keep going more than two miles an hour, um, especially where <laughs> Corella set the record right now, making that up later on, becomes very difficult. Um, right. So interesting. Yeah, was, so you did yeah. strength training. I, I appreciate that. Just speaking personal, I do a fair amount of strength training. I think that you, I don't have to say this to you, I don't think, but our endurance tends to hang in there and strength and pliability just goes down the toilet. So unless one, as one ages, works, you know, focuses on strength, you're going to lose it. Well, in the twenties, it's kind of there naturally. Definitely. Yeah. And I was, I, I, I did a lot of different, I used to get into the gym twice a week, um, throughout a lot of my career, but this time around I was doing strengthening at four days a week. And again, because of that age factor, um, you know, strength diminishes in our mid twenties, some say even at the age of 22, um, unless you're doing things to promote strengthening and yes, climbing up and down mountains, running up and down mountains will, will help some of that. But, um, I was doing plyometric, I was doing speed training, um, you know, just, you know, jumps and dynamic stuff, upper body, core, just total body stuff that I had never done before. Um, so I felt, you know, more durable than ever. And I think that's, that's for me, it was really key uh, to spend that time doing it. I did a lot of um, training in the foothills of Boulder versus going up into the big mountains, um, partly because I knew I needed that steep grade. So a lot of repeats of bear and, uh, you know, Fern Canyon, Shadow Canyon, stuff that, you know, when it's 90s uh, down here in Boulder, uh, most people head up to the mountains. You know, it's a beautiful time of the year to be up high. And for me, I knew I had to be very specific with the training. But again, you know, it's it's fascinating when you get back on the AT like I did. Um, it's just so much different. You know, the humidity, the type of surface you're on, um, you know, the steepness of the grades consistently, um, and just that constant grind. It just doesn't let up. Like it just you just, it just kind of eats and picks at you. And I was finally feeling like I was turning the corner at day four or day five. And that's of course, when the injury was coming because everything starts to hurt those first few days. It's like your feet, the skin is adapting, the, um, the muscles, the joints, um, the ligaments, the tendons. Um, I was even having like, you know, at night I was noticing, oh, my hips are aching, all these things. And then eventually that was subsiding and my body was like turning that corner of adaptive, um, conditioning. And then unfortunately, that's when a quad muscle decided to, to let go and, and fully tear on me. Ouch. Ouch. Well, you started on August 4th, just so people know. And this sounds very similar to the uh, quad injury you had in 2015 when you went south to north. And as you said, at that time, you I was following you at that time. It's like, oh, wow, this is going to be tricky. But you just backed off. You let it come back over a span of a few days. But now, like you just said, with the record being what it is, you, you, it, nobody can get it back. Basically, in, in something like the AT, you've got to make your time. Maybe you can have a, one slow day, but two or three slow days, nobody can make it back. Uh, was this the same injury that you experienced down in Georgia? Um. It was probably similar. Um, it was on the other side. So unfortunately, I can't say like, oh, yeah, 2015 is what caused this or like, oh, there was remnants of scar tissue that tore again. Um, unfortunately, it was on the other side. Um, so I had a right knee issue, patellofemoral runner's knee essentially in 2015. And then I had a left quad tear. So I had two things going on simultaneously, which is not 
great when you need to <laughs> decrease weight bearing on one side. Um, this time around, um, I had a tightness in my left and that went away. Um, and I thought this was going to go away too. And it just gradually got worse and worse and worse. And it was just like a right mid belly of the, the quad. And again, the terrain up there just doesn't, you know, walking off an injury doesn't really, it's not like you can walk at three miles an hour on that type of terrain. Um, so you're, so I was diminished to, you know, one and a half, two miles an hour. And it was in, I was in so much pain that, um, again, I tried for two days to see if it would give me anything and it just didn't. And the pace was so slow and it was starting to swell and my muscle was actually starting. And I don't know if you've had tendinosis before in a tendon and a sheath. Um, it can kind of feel like sandpaper grating. And this was happening in the muscle. So in the belly of my quad muscle, it was just sounding like, well, not sounding, but it's not really audible, but it feels like sandpaper, you know, grating, um, as the muscle contracts and relaxes. And at that point I was just like, oh, this is futile. Um, and then I knew I had the mahusics coming up. I had the whites and there was just, there was no letting up. It was just going to keep coming at me. Well, I wanted to just take a moment. Thanks for this. Excellent, excellent information. But just to take a moment, I just want to express my personal sympathies. I'm feeling this, Scott. You oh, put thanks. a lot of effort. You had the crew there. You had this whole thing lined up. You were fit. You were ready to go. You were very well trained. And injuries happen. I mean, again, a little personal editorial comment here. But perfect doesn't really exist. Injuries happen. Accidents happen. You could have, you know, tree could have fallen on you. So I'm very sorry about that. I'm very sorry. That must have been very disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's still it still stings. I mean, I'm here a month out. Um, well, a little bit over a month now. Um, but it's yeah, it's super frustrating. You know, when you feel like your body fails you, it's like you do all the prep and, you know, it can happen in a hundred mile race. It can happen in a 40 day speed record attempt, but it definitely stings. I think a bit more in terms of like all the preparation. I mean, it's like preparing for an expedition and that's, that's the tricky thing is because before this whole thing is like tons of work, um, the supplies, the gear, the, um, <laughs> just, I have bins of, uh, <laughs> I have basically these plastic bins full of stuff. I still have to go through. And like Jenny was joking. She's like, we should just throw it all in a storage, <laughs> just put it away for the next time. We, um, we need this stuff, but yeah, it's hard to, to pick up the pieces. And when you have people, I had, you know, Carl came out again and to help, um, for a good stretch of it. I had, um, you know, Jenny was out there with the kids planning on being for out there for a good portion of it until she was going to go back for school and potentially the whole thing. And, um, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for everybody. Um, and you know, I think it was funny. Carell emailed me a few days ago, you know, saying like, Oh, maybe, you know, he's like, he felt more, uh, strain on him and more pressure with the sponsor support. But for me, I've been working with sponsors and partners for a long time. And, uh, that wasn't anything. I mean, they've all been supportive and I feel like, yeah, people like yourself are super supportive, but, um, it doesn't take away the sting. Like, and I didn't feel extra pressure this time around. Um, even though it was a, you know, it was more organized and, uh, you know, planned planning behind it. Right. So well, thank you for I, that honest answer. Again, I'm just, uh, I'm thinking what, what you just said is so true. The planning, I think people should be able to imagine the planning. It's not like you're trotting along and say, oh, I'm getting a little hungry. Uh, what, what is there to eat? I mean, that's just not how these things work anymore. You have no. to have it dialed from day one. You basically go out there with everything you're needing. It's almost like an ultra run so that your crew can just hand it to you at that moment. Because if you start putzing around, that's just time. You oh, can't yeah. give no, up you can't. time. And that's where this time around, like last time around, Jenny would go and grab whatever she could. You know, <laughs> sometimes it was like, you know, McDonald's hash browns. <laughs> it was like just, you know, again, not the uh, the most ideal, um, but she found vegan things. And but it was really tricky. And so you can only bring so much fresh food with you. And this time around, I really, you know, got the diet deal dialed more. I had more help. You know, it wasn't just Jenny washing clothes, getting ice, getting gas, um, refueling, doing all that in town and then having to get back for me. So I had, um, you know, more crew from that standpoint so they could help out and making sure, but we had, yeah, bins load of, you know, food. So that again, in 
especially remote places like Maine, New Hampshire, the closest town where you can get some of this stuff is hours away from where you are. Um, so it, yeah, a lot goes into that. And that, that's the hard thing. I think, um, when things end so abruptly and when they end the way they do, uh, and you're, you're planning on having this big adventure and, you know, the adventure gets, uh, pulled out from under you. So it's hard. Ouch. That's really hard. That's really hard. Well, again, sorry about that, Scott. Oh, thanks. uh, But it's, you know, it's part of the game. I mean, I think that's, um, those that are listening and, you know, the maybe shorter FKTs have, um, you know, less sting to them, but like there's a lot of risks involved. And when you go for 40 days or anything over a week, um, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of risks, a lot of things that can go wrong. And, uh, but that's, that's why we do these things too, is, <laughs> is that, you know, adventurous risk, um, you know, <laughs> risk, uh, I don't know. Um, it's just, yeah, it's very much right. rich with risk. Right. Yeah. Well, you said it in a New York times piece, if I may quote you from that, you said, it's good to be humbled. Humans need to be humbled to have those experiences where we need to adapt to things because that is where the magic happens. There's beauty in the struggle. The reality is you don't always win. Wow. Can't argue with that. Yeah. And it's, it's something, you know, I've, I think when one has had a long career, I mean, I've had to drop out of races. I've had, you know, not so great races where I finished and struggled and I've had a real mixed, um, as much as people look at the results and, you know, they see all the wins, but, um, you know, people that win a lot have a lot of failures too, and have things that don't go right. And especially ultra running or speed records. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong and how you rebound from that is, is the most important thing. And I think, uh, it's it's part of the game and you know, that's nice. i think we do it because of that too um mm, right so we don't if, we don't go out to fail but you know we we know that that's going to be part of it well if success was assured <laughs> it's unclear really what you're doing <laughs> exactly well and it, well, it makes you know failure makes uh the success all the more sweeter and uh yeah it's it's uh yeah, it's it's definitely a, a struggle out there. But um, we have we of course see a lot of attempts, and someone will say on the, on the big projects, someone will say to me, "Well, oh, Buzz, do you think so and so, you know, fill in name, uh, is going to get the FAKT?" And I usually just say no. And I say why not? And I usually say because it's really hard. They think I'm criticizing or belittling them. No, I don't care who you are. Odds are is like no. There's so many things that can go wrong, so many problems. I So I think it's an amazing business. It's an amazing attempt. The projects are just huge. Like you say, if you're going to go run a marathon, well, you know, there's some things that can go wrong. Even 100, well, you could blow the nutrition or the uh, hydration. But that's nothing compared with a multi-day, nothing. Because in a marathon, you're basically running yourself down. You do not intake the amount of food and amount of calories and water that you expend. You don't even come close. You just run yourself down. A hundred, you can kind of get away with that. And in a multi-day, no, 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 no. You've got to maintain all the time. And if you dip in the red line, it's going to come back and pop you. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing too, is it's, it's all about efficiency. Um, and like you said, with Carell, like the way, um, you operate on the trail and how efficient you are. And, um, you know, injuries are part of that. Nutrition is part of that. Recovery is part of that. Um, and then execution and, you know, your mindset, you're just going to have all these ups and downs out there. And, um, that's what makes it, it makes it really fun, but it also makes it, um, really tough and it makes it hard, um, you know, for everybody. So yeah, I think, yeah, if you're a betting, if you're a betting person, um, <laughs> saying if somebody is going to make it or not, you're probably, your odds are probably pretty good because yeah, you could probably count the number, uh, the percentages for certain outings and the real big ones. It's, it's a really low percentage of people who are successful. And then of right. course, breaking records. Um, it's one right. thing to, to keep going. Right. And uh, well, people hear about the successes, but then we hear about the failures. And so I'm not sure if people understand how many failures there actually are because they don't get publicized that well. So it's a it's a fascinating game. 
Well, and even just getting to the starting, you know, even getting to the start too. I mean, people prepare for multi-days, they prepare for races and, you know, that's a hard thing for a lot of people too. Um, And that's where the fine line is. Like sometimes I'm always thinking, okay, could things be tinkered with preparation and my training, but you know, you run the risk. Do you overtrain? Do you get injured before you even get out? to the start of one of these speed records. So it's a tricky thing. So I do applaud people. I don't want to sound like, you know, oh, if you don't, if you have to stop or end your uh, attempt short, um, you're just getting there a lot of times is super difficult. Indeed. Indeed. Well, of course, in my particular age category, um, I decide how well I do just by reading the obituary column to see who's going to show up <laughs> and who's not. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's and that's that's the beauty of it too is that there's different perspectives. And I think what is interesting about speed records and FKTs is that you know they inspire people to do, even just do a multi-day run, fast pack, whatever. Like in a lot of times, it's great to have these you know records. I think a lot of people were assuming I would do one of these sooner after having broken the AT um, in 2015. But, you know, it, it takes a lot out to go out and do something for speed and prepare for that and execute it. But I've, I've enjoyed the last few years when I've had time <laughs> between uh, two little ones, um, you know, just get out and, and do multi-day adventures and you know, put on the backpack with 18 pounds of everything I'll need, um, whether it's going out into the wind rivers or, or doing stuff on, you know, got out with a buddy, just uh, lightweight backpacking, old fashioned style, um, not for speed, but just getting on the AT down the South this uh, spring, which was a lot of fun. Somebody, uh, a friend of mine who's in his sixties. And I, I think it's good again, to to go at different speeds and have different goals there too. Cause I think people just assume, Oh, guys and gals um, and those that are pushing the boundaries in the sport just always go for records. And um, I've been a big believer in you got to go out there and just go, go easy, go mellow too. Right. I bet a lot of people do that, but but then their followers don't always notice that because it's the big hoo that gets the attention. Yeah. So thank you for filling us in. I appreciate yeah. that, Scott. Well, here's something. Of course, you're very, very well known as being on a plant-based diet. Your New York Times bestseller, Eat and Run, was an excellent book. So let's take a little sidestep here. So how do you... Uh, what is your nutrition plan for a multi-day effort? Because like I said, you can't go into the hole. You have to keep it up. And my guess is you had to make take special care to have high protein and fat content. That's my personal guess, but you can let me know. So what does this look like to you? Yeah, for me, it is, um, I feel like protein is relatively easy, um, you know, if you think about it, but it's the sheer calories that one has to take in. And so protein gets tricky for me because if I'm dependent on the grocery stores or the small little cafes out in the middle of nowhere, um, like on the Appalachian trail, it definitely gets hard. So this time around I had, you know, more frozen food, um, protein sources that were going to be quick and easy for my crew to, to get ready. Um, so it did require more space in the van <laughs> to like to have that because um, it does get tricky in terms of getting enough protein if you're reliant on protein sources out in the middle of nowhere. And when you have a very small grocery store or a you know small corner cafe <laughs> out in uh, very rural uh, Appalachia, um, you're gonna it's gonna be tough. So this time around, I wanted to make sure that you know, I wasn't just relying. I mean, I did you know, still use protein powders, um, using energy bars, like, you know, cliff builder bars that have 20 grams of protein or, um, you know, again, having smoothies that, you know, utilize protein powder that was mixed in there, um, that was vegan. And then having, oh, can, uh, I, can I just take yeah. a quick pause? This is just for my own personal edification. Sure. I've started using, I never used to do supplements, but I'm doing protein supplements now because, in my age, I'm not metabolizing protein that well. So the supplementation helps. And what you just said, the builder's bar, 20 grams, people are surprised to hear an egg has seven. So it's actually not as good as you think. So I've moved to the supplement. So what, if you feel free to mention brand names, we don't care here. I'm interested to hear a little more specifics on this. Um, yeah, I was using, um, the Vivo sport of, um, brand it's a uk brand that was uh protein and it's a pea protein uh base um pea protein is a big uh 
if I'm going to be doing protein powders, usually it's pea protein or brown rice protein powder, um, use a little bit of hemp protein. Um, but it's a fairly, again, processed, but when you're on a multi-day or you're out on a speed record like this, um, you're going to do processed food. I mean, for me, it's like, um, you know, I love salads. I love my veggies, but it really was going to be steamed veggies um, as a source. It was going to be powdered greens, um, you know, frozen spinach or spinach ground. Basically, my greens were going to be in smoothies. Um, but when it comes to protein powders or things like that, you, you know, it's going to be processed. But I do like to go with those that are more on the pea based side. Um, I do do use soy products, but don't use as much soy protein besides like the builder's bars um, and a few items like that. Um, and then other um, components, as we mentioned, it, a lot of fat. So ways to get in the micronutrients uh, via some you know, supplementation, um, protein powders or um, uh, supplemental powders, so to speak. And then when it comes to the, the fats, it was going to be pretty dense because again, you know, you get nine calories for every gram of fat. And as long as you're getting enough carbohydrate, enough protein, it really comes down to, can you get six, eight, 9,000 calories in per day when you need it on the trail? Um, that's where like a smoothie or, um, again, a lot of curries, um, to get my veggies, you know, so they're cooked down really soft because again, a salad is hard to, to get down. I did a lot of wraps, um, really dense. So a lot of things were cooked in coconut oil. They were, again, this is not a healthy diet for the general public, um, on a caloric level, as well as having this high fat content, but, um, it works for what I'm trying to do. So, you know, a lot of coconut milk based things, again, to get that rich, um, source of calories. And then I love Thai food. And so we did a lot of like, you know, again, a lot of ethnic food that could be dense for calories. Um, I was doing a lot of white rice, some brown rice, again, a little bit lower on the fiber while I'm out there, um, just from the standpoint of, of cooking it. Right. Interesting. Well, thanks for getting a little specific there because it's something I'm still experimenting with myself. I remember when I did the Colorado Trail, which is where are we now? 22 years ago. And out, we were just experimenting. It's like we didn't know, no one else knew what to do. And I told my crew after about day four, they said, What do you want? I said, I want the Genghis Khan diet. And then he said, <laughs> What's that? And I was just struggling for words. It was like, I want what would kill me. You know, if I wasn't doing this, you know, I wanted fat, <laughs> I wanted salt, I wanted the heart attack diet because doing that, you just, you need calories, you need it, you need to, you're going to burn it. It doesn't matter. It's just going to oh, get burned right off. And the and simple sugars are just going in and out. They're just, they weren't getting it for me. Definitely. And that's where you're on a multi-day, much like, you know, I look a lot to the alpinists, the expeditionists um, that do these things, because that's what you're doing on a speed record attempt. You're really, you're really trying to think about, and this is the way I think about it. I'm, I'm not eating for today so much as I'm eating for tomorrow, the next day, the next day after. So um, typically we have enough fat in our muscles. We have enough stored fat. Um, we have enough protein. Ideally, we're not digging into that protein that's stored in our bodies. But, um, you know, we need that carbohydrate to be coming in. And like you say, you get burnt out on it and you, um, the simple sugars and stuff, you have to do enough of that. I was still doing the gels. I was still doing the blocks and, and all the stuff that, you know, people are like, gosh, how do you keep doing that stuff? But, um, again, you need that constant stream of carbohydrate and then you get some carbohydrate through, you know, the grains and, um, the breads and the pastas and things like that for meal times. But um, at the end of the day, like you said, it's it's a type of diet where um, maybe it wouldn't kill you, but it's not healthy on a long term basis. But, you know, people joke about the saying, like, you know, when the furnace is hot, anything will burn. Um, but it's kind of true when you're out there on speed record attempts, when you're ripping through that many calories, when your body and metabolism are so, you know, primed and, and running at a very high end, um, you know, things just get burnt um, very quickly. And, you know, that's last time I lost 19 pounds and this time around I was um, determined to avoid that situation. Probably didn't help too. I mean, not to be sleeping much last time around. <laughs> and 19 pounds off of you, that's serious. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit bigger guy, like I, but I'm not, you know, big bone, lots of muscle. I'm not a, you know, a large 
you know, body mass, I guess, so to speak. I'm six two. So yeah, when I lose 19 pounds, it's, uh, it was pretty startling <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, Andrew Skirka said something to me a number of years ago, which is just reinforced something that I was trending toward. And of course he's this professional hiker. He goes out for days and weeks at a time. And he, he said, Buzz, I've realized I'm not sure why all my snacks shouldn't be chocolate. And boy, I I got to that place too, except they melt. Other than the melting factor, I kind of feel the same way. Did you trend towards chocolate or is that just not a thing for you? I mean, I love chocolate for sure. Um, I didn't, you know, one thing out in the AT when you know I'm out there, was out there in August. It was even up in Maine, it was 85 to 90. Um and it was pretty brutal. So um, things that melt, I at least when I'm bringing them on me, I typically avoid those things. So, um, or at least in the early morning, like a Builder Bar, for instance, I love the chocolate peanut butter. So I'm a chocolate peanut butter um, type of person. But yeah, as far as like chocolate, I love it. And I, you know, my crew is making chocolate smoothies, and I had these like you know concoctions of um, ice cream and making shakes. Again, density. Um, so yeah, I mean. What Andrew's saying, I, I think, you know, chocolate's great. I mean, a lot of my through hiking friends um, used to compare, like, what's the best um, candy bar out on the trail? And it was interesting, like, pound for pound. Um, again, if you're really into weight, it was like the old score bar back in the day. I don't know if you remember score bars, but um, it just really comes down to, like, you know, what is the you know calorie content of things? Um, assuming you're getting enough you know, carbohydrate, assuming you're getting the protein you need, then it comes down to, like, what up? So I, you can see why... Um, you know, the mountaineers and expeditionists, why they brought sticks of butter, uh, you know, uh, or pounds of butter, um, why they would use things like cheese and these things that would keep in cold climates. Um, fortunately, chocolate isn't the greatest when it's 85, 90 degrees <laughs> um, when you're on the trail. But yeah, I was doing a, a lot of, uh, you know, I, I do some candy and, and things like that in addition to my energy bars. But um, yeah, certain, I'm a, I'm a, like I said, a chocolate peanut butter. So like the nut butter filled bars by Cliff that were chocolate on the outside, peanut butter on the inside. It's a good combination. So you have peanut butter, you know, that nut butter on the inside with a, a chocolate outside. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. And it doesn't melt as much. So yeah, to Andrew's point. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate is amazing until it melts and you're trying to like get it off of wrappers and yeah, the calories exactly. just stick to stick to that. Right. Then frustration is also not a good thing. Well, thank exactly. you. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that you have uh, affirmed me a little bit there, Scott. Thank you for doing <laughs> yeah. that. Of course, my new, I'm in Michigan right now. My new thing is fudge. So I'm out on a plus oh, six yeah. hour day. I get this home, you know, northern Michigan. It's kind of like this little fudge thing. You know, you're from the Midwest. You know, pasties, fudge, stuff like that. Totally. You have to a good fudge, unfortunately, is hard to find. So now they're using palm kernel oil and hydrogenated yeah. oils, which is just not right. So you have to look around and find a fudge that actually is made with butter. And boy, if I eat the, you know two ounces of a real fudge, I'm you know I'm good to go. I, I feel like I just got a hit. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's um, I remember uh, the founder of Cliff Bar. Um, Gary Erickson, he, um, and when I've been in Europe too, the like fruit cakes and these, like these Italian dense breads, like, like, so there's like fudge in the Midwest. Um, cause I grew up yeah making fudge and eating fudge, but these, um, dessert kind of things are kind of like, you know, whether it's fruit cake or you look at, um, you know, some of the, uh, the traditional Jewish, um, you know, like babkas or like these dense kind of like things are again, <laughs> you eat a slice of that and it's like, I don't know, three, 400 calories, um, in a, a shot. Um, these are things again, great speed <laughs> record type stuff, foods <laughs> and like FKT foods, but, um, again, probably not your, your normal everyday type of foods, but, right. um, that would yeah, not be good. <laughs> that's the thinking behind it is like, you, you have to really kind of tease through. And again, um, when you, when one looks at, like, I think a lot of it does come down to comfort when you're eating stuff, when you're eating sheer calories of, you know, in the upwards of, you know, six, seven, eight, nine thousand calories a day. Um, some things have to be, you have to be craving them. So I was even doing spicy stuff. Sometimes I was getting like, in order to eat a high quantity of food, it can't be too spicy. So I was having my crew having to, to even tinker, even, you know, five, six, seven days in having to tinker with how much spice. So you want to have again, variety and, and play with different things, but, um, it's good having, you know, the salty, the sweet, the, uh, the dense, the, you know, spicy and just having that full array of things if you can. 
again, you can't always, <laughs> and then there's Carl Meltzer, you know, Carl was out there and he was like, he's like Mandarin oranges. He's like, they're amazing. You know, he was like, it's got, you know, that syrup from the, the sugary syrup in the Mandarin oranges. And uh, yeah, he was constantly uh, putting Mandarin oranges in front of me um, saying like, this is the best thing in the world. He's like, I survived on that for days one time. I ate the, <laughs> it's all he wanted to eat. So I didn't know that Mandarin oranges. Okay. All yeah. Right. That's a Midwest well, thing too. My apologies to any runner who's listening to this while out toward the end of their eight hour run and they have nothing with them, but three cliff bars. So if you're listening <laughs> to this last 10 minutes, Oh, sorry about that. My apologies, but you will get home soon. You'll be able to get some good food and maybe it'll bring <laughs> something different next time. So thanks Scott. That's good stuff. I, I really, it's food. I mean, this is a good conversation. Uh, it's a, uh, it's performance and it's life. You know, so it, it, food covers the spectrum, doesn't it? Definitely. Definitely. For yeah. sure. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a balance. And then you also have to be thinking of like efficiency on the AT and what's practical and what are you going to get down and, and everybody's different. You have to find that combination. Well, we have a tradition on the fastest known podcast. We tend to close with a similar question every time which is what's next. And of course, that's kind of an obvious question, which I have to ask you. You, you know, I'm going to ask you this question. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, it's just kind of, it's sort of staring us in the face, isn't it? So pardon me for being so obvious. And if this is too soon after your recent attempt, my apologies. So you can answer this however you want. But, you know, I have to ask, are you going to go back? Oh yeah. It's a million dollar question. It's the question that uh, <laughs> definitely Sorry is not even in my mainframe, but at the same time, of course it is like um, after something like this, it's like um, Jenny was, and she's not joking, but she's like, you know, you got to go back and clean up your mess now. Um, <laughs> Cause uh, she was pretty bummed again. You know, she was as frustrated as me. Like, you know, she's like, come on, you know, you bounced back last time and Jenny's got a very, um, very direct um, way of communicating sometimes. So, um, but it's, it is fun to like, look at it like that because as somebody who has, you know, gone back and, you know, figured out things like with a race like Western States or Badwater or Hard Rock, you know, I tried to do that in uh, 2000, two weeks after Western States. Um, and then going back in 2020 20, uh, or t 2007, it's like, it's been in my nature to do that. So, um, do I want to go back to the AT? Of course, you know, it's like, <laughs> I know, not right now. I'm not thinking that, but like, I know it'll, it'll be, it'll be there at some point. So even though it's not there right now, um, history and, uh, my experience tells me I'll be, I'll be ready to, to think in those sort of terms, <laughs> just not right now. <laughs> right now. Right now it's like, okay, like Jenny, was telling me she's like you had to go and wake up the dragon like why couldn't you just let it rest <laughs> after like doing the at once um you know go do something different and uh yeah there's some truth to that like you know why you know the part of me was like oh yeah maybe i should have gone back to something different um you know maybe i wasn't wasn't uh um maybe the at wasn't the the place to go but there's so much of me that wanted to go back it's it's just such a unique environment for me being out west here and having done most of my racing out here, um, it, it's it's such an amazing trail and the community and um, just the type of beauty out there is completely different. What I see on a regular basis out here, out west, um, and right now we're seeing a lot of smoke, <laughs> pretty pretty uh, rough conditions. But um, yeah, so I guess the the short answer is uh, give it a little time and you'll probably. Hear me, ready to go back to the AT, <laughs> just not right wow. now. Well, I, I again, I, thank you for answering that question. That was very kind and gracious of you. Because I mean, heck, it's just the middle of September, and you did this starting on August fourth. And even if you were successful, you don't want to think about it. What's next? You know, you the, the body, yeah. the mind, the soul needs a break. So, thank you for, for being so gracious and answering the question. And of course, we will probably quote Jenny on this one. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, and I'll, I'll be, you know, I, I definitely want to do a few more things. I think I've told you this before. Um, you know, I still feel like my body has, um, and my mind is very open to, to doing, I mean, that's why I saved some of these things towards the end. I've, you know, they're, uh, yeah, 
there, there are things I want to do. And, you know, I'm, I've got a few more years before I turn 50, but, um, you know, as we all know, uh, things get harder <laughs> as you get older. Um, but I'm a big believer in taking care of our bodies as well as we can and, and trying to get the most out of them. And, you know, I don't want to destroy it just for the sake of getting a couple more things in. And it's okay to say I've checked off, you know, the main things off my list. Um, but for me, uh, you know, I want to be running until hopefully the day I die or the you know, close to it and being active and, you know, passionate about, you know, exercising. I don't need to be going after records. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing because you, you have to be, you have to be mentally ready for these things too, and and want it bad enough. If you're, if you <laughs> well, that, that last thing, of course, that was always, in a way, one of your major strengths, Scott, was passion and mm-hmm. wanting it bad enough. Uh, and that's one of the, in my personal opinion, one of the most underrated factors. Of course, there's training, there's preparation, there's strategy, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, you know, it's not going to be easy. It doesn't matter how well you train. I think people look at the top athletes and think, oh, well, it's easy for them. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. So that's, I, in my personal opinion, that's been one of your strengths. You've wanted it. You've gone out there and you've thrown down. And so what I'm hearing from you is you feel that you still got a little bit more of that in you. So congratulations, Scott. Yeah, you have an extremely it's- mature attitude. Very thoughtful. I appreciate this. Well, I've been doing it buzz for a long time as you know, so hopefully, hopefully I've got some maturity after a while, but I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a fine balance between, and I guess you still, for me, I, you know, I still have to be excited about the things that I'm doing and, you know, find the things that interest me most. And I think that's, what's interesting about, um, speed attempts and speed records is, you know, finding that I'm, I know I've, I don't have my best hundred mile days ahead of me. <laughs> um, and there's a few other things I save for later in my career and, and doing this. So for me, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's fun time in the sport too. You probably notice it. It's, um, <laughs> it's made it very busy for you here in a, a pandemic, uh, situation that we've been enduring for the last, uh, year and a half. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of people are very interested in this aspect. And I think that's, that's the tricky thing too, with the sport is where does it go, um, in regards to, to speed records. So that's why I'm a, I'm an advocate of, uh, a lot of these things that, you know, people should be tracking them. We should be doing live tracking. We should have multiple formats of, um, you know, for people to, you know, take a look at I mean, I feel like the community as a whole, um, they're the ones that are driving the interest and they need to be like, watching these attempts and making sure that there's uh you know people i mean it's fun to watch this stuff and i think you know people especially the locals that know these trails and they're they're the best eyeballs and uh uh ears to be i guess i don't know just overseeing and judging and uh, and critiquing because uh i think that's how the sport will evolve is um, you can't do it yourself. Peter can't do it. I mean, you guys have done a great job to lay the framework, but it gets trickier. I think um, just you, you can't you can't look at all the speed <laughs> speed records out there and look at all the data. So I think it's interesting. It's it's fun times too to see people like you know records stand now for sometimes literally days <laughs> before the next one <laughs> is broken, and there's people all over finding things in their backyard and their um, their woods, their mountains to do, and um, I think it's. Uh, it's a, an exciting time, but it's also tricky too, because, you know, where do, what do we require behind it too? I mean, you mentioned earlier, like the whole issue with, uh, you know, tracking and, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't want it to be like Scott Jurek where I have tons of people out there. But the reality is, um, I, I think it's good when people are out checking on people and, and looking at things and looking at, you know, Hey, they went from here to there. I mean, people, whether you call it armchair running or ultra running or FKTing, but people love to do it. And they're passionate about, keeping track of people. And I know some people um, say, well, it's not safe to have live tracking. And I totally disagree with that because um, if you're out there doing an FKT, um, you've got to be willing to take some of that risk. And Jenny had a tracker like, you know, on her and, you know, people knew where we were at all times, which is a little weird, but I'm a firm believer in that, whether it's self-supported. And I know some people say, oh, it's, we shouldn't be doing this because, you know, women um, don't feel safe. But I mean, anybody, um, including whether they're male, female, or it, it doesn't really matter. There's still some of that. And I think for FKTs, if you're setting a speed record, you got to be willing to, to be watched and to, to take that risk. I know what your take is right now, but 
Um, I know there's been a lot of debate around that and people use that as a, you know, complaint or uh, excuse not to live track. I think that's very, very well said, Scott. I appreciate your comments. Very thoughtful and very well reasoned. I think in terms of FKT.com, we evolve as the standards evolve. And so we, I like, really like what you say that it's community driven. And so you have to be responsive to the community. And that means we're going to be sometimes a step behind the community. <laughs> and what we can't do, and I'll just you know call it a name here, because I think it's on your mind as well, with uh, Timmy on the PCT. And so he, you know, be for various reasons, he wasn't doing a lot of live tracking. And then once we started to say, hey, you know, this is getting big. This is, you know, people need to see this. We couldn't tell him to do it differently once he had started. You, you see what I mean? So in terms of the management end of it, we have to spell out every rule before someone starts. We can't change it. Even if we think, oops, this isn't going well, we can't change the rule once they're engaged because that'd be pulling the rug out from underneath them. We have to give them a fair shot at what they expected to do, even if we're going to do it different next time. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, it's kind it's... of interesting. So we're, we're basically play catch up and figure it out as we go as well. And I, I'll just even add on to what you said about live tracking and, and public and the community needs to be watching this because they indeed, there's, there's people out there who are just crazy about this stuff. As you know, I mean, if you set one foot off the AT, there's going to be someone in Delaware who's going to call you on it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. They know yeah. this and FKT.com, we can't do that kind of scrutiny. So I, I very much appreciate that. And I'm going to kind of pile on to what you said by saying a lot of these people are professional athletes. This is, pardon me, their job. Mm -hmm. This is what they get paid to do. And so you don't want to get paid to do it. I mean, your sponsors are kind of kicking in some money here because they want to get see this name. And if you don't, they don't see your name, well, kind of, you can't really burn the candle at both ends like that. Totally. And I think it's tricky because as you know, you know, before it was like on your honor, um, there wasn't, you know, yes, I know there was a, you know, a site that would keep some records and such, but in general, the the rules of engagement, so to speak, were, you know, spelled out sometimes, whether it was Scott Williamson, you know, somewhere on a blog or somewhere where he um, would spell out things on self-supported, which, you know, was great because there were, you know, standards being laid down. But unless you're following, I think that's the tricky thing right now, whether you're a professional athlete or you're, um, or you're somebody who's new to the sport or new to speed records, um, you may not be as, um, <laughs> I guess, up to speed on like what, what people expect out in the community. And like you said, you know, you can have things spelled out on FKT.com, but there, there are like these unwritten codes of ethics being like <laughs> people, whether it's like, you know, you have to keep your, I was talking to a, a through hiking buddy who, who uh, is mainly in that through hiking world, um, but very aware of speed records and, and, and tried. And he was just like, you know, you have to, you have to connect the footsteps. Um, and as you know, like, the PCT is interesting with reroutes and you know, the AT gets longer, as we all know, every year or two, you know, mileage gets added. You know, there's a lot of things in flux. And I think there are the the gold standards, though, that, you know, the footsteps need to stay connected. There's going to be reroutes. There's going to be changes in the trail. Um, you can get weather issues. I mean, uh, the AT was going through um, some major flooding and things getting wiped out in certain areas that I was going to have to deal with potentially down in Vermont, and Massachusetts. And these are all things that go with the territory. So it is kind of tricky because there are a lot of these like unwritten community expectations and those that are very much uh, into the sport know these things. But, you know, people, again, whether they're professional athletes, I mean, before it used to be like, oh, you don't need to use a tracker if you use other formats. <laughs> You'll be like, oh, I, I just take analog photos or I, I only do this. And I think it's it's better that we start spelling out a lot of these things because it does get tricky. But I think there are the the gold standards of like, you know, and I, I can mention Darcy's name because, you know, I felt really bad with her experience on the John Muir Trail. And obviously you're a friend, you, you know, we're, we're like community okay. members in Boulder here, like feel for something like that. But what a heartbreaking and just devastating thing to like, you know, think you're on the trail and then you're not. And you didn't realize it till after you finish. Um, it's just, but at the same time, it's like, 
you have to keep the same standards. You have to follow the trail. You have to connect your footsteps. And there's all these things that, you know, are tricky because it's, it's tough. You know, we all right. know these people and there are friends in some cases and it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation. And then somebody has got to tell people, you know, got to be the bad person in terms of telling them like, you know, this is, this is how things go. And then, like you said, changing things midstream or mid run, um, it's, it's tricky. Right. And we, uh, we fall under, uh, you know, and I think I just, I'm a real big proponent of every, it should be an even playing field. I don't think, you know, top level athletes get a hall pass on certain things. And, um, that's, that's why I was like logging into logbooks last time. I mean, <laughs> six years ago, I had a live tracker. I was logging, putting my name down and leaving a paper trail, um, and a breadcrumb trail, so to speak at shelters. Um, and then I also had the social media and the digital photos. So nowadays, you know, we're, we're getting more of the, the standards down, but I was very adamant because I didn't think I had a special, um, pass because I'm a top level athlete. No, people trust Scott. Um, I wanted people to know. So I think that's, that's going to be a, a big, uh, big issue. I think as we go along, as you know, Right. I guess maybe well, this, you guys play catch up. Uh, well, we do. We we are <laughs> yeah. very responsive. But for example, digital technology. We, we we haven't been around that long, but we did not used to require uh, not only live tracking any kind of GPS. Now you have to submit a GPS track. And if someone says, "Well, I don't know how to do that," we said, "Well, sorry, learn how to do it." Yeah. So that's just evolved. I mean, just in the last five years, that's evolved. Totally. And just to fill people in, Darcy, of course, was just doing it insanely fast, uh, John Muir trail. And she's coming up in the end and it's like, uh Oh, hope she realizes that the most popular trail is the mist trail, but that's not the John Muir trail. So when you get to, uh, the, the Merced river up there on the top, you get there at forks and you can take two different trails yep. down. I actually got on the phone and tried to call a friend of mine who was a crew person. She didn't have self-reception. I was going to say, make sure you don't take the mist trail but I couldn't get through to her. She took the mist trail. And so it became a real mess because, you know, she, she was tried really hard. She tried her heart out. And yet, as you said, she actually didn't do a few miles of the John Muir trail. And so what could we do? We said, okay, from here on out, now we're going to draw a hard line. You see what I mean? Just like I said, yeah. 10 minutes ago, we couldn't draw a hard line on Darcy because we didn't spell it out in advance. That's on us. You see what I mean? I We can just take blame. Unless our guidelines are clearly spelled out, it's not the runner's fault. It's our fault. You see? And so now we try to keep our guidelines as clear as possible so that, like you said, it is a level playing field. Yeah. Here's I mean, it's tricky. I, mean, I, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's still, I don't want to put everything on you guys either. I think it should be on the runner. I mean, you have to know where the trail goes and, you know, again, I feel for it. And Darcy, no, I mean, I've talked to Darcy like, and she's like, okay, I did what I did. And unfortunately it was this like, you know, I don't want to bring up bad stuff, but it, it, it was a good example of like, you know, the, you know, there's some basics you have to do. You have to follow the trail because <laughs> otherwise I'd be like, Oh, well you just did this part. Oh, well, that's good enough that, you know, you did the same mileage. Um, and then there's, you know, you have to connect your footsteps, all these things that, you know, are kind of on the runner, so to speak. I mean, you guys maybe will want to spell those things out, but there's certain unwritten rules too. I feel like, um, that, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. Right. But, well, this is an interesting, little recent development, the very first person to through hike the Appalachian trail just last week that was called into question. Someone <laughs> just, yeah, just last week, someone sorted the whole thing out and decided he probably didn't start at uh, the Southern terminus. He probably started three miles away. I don't know way they could, uh, that's Earl, they're really uh, getting, getting uh, picky with Earl Schaefer then, huh? No, it was, it was Earl Schaefer. Really? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the legend, you know, just the, yeah. this icon, and it appears that he didn't do the whole AT. And so what does that mean? Well, I think you just have to evolve it. You have to say, yeah. well, the Appalachian Trail Conference said he did do it. And so I wasn't even alive at the time. So I'm going to say he did do it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. we're certainly going to move that standard up. So now you're no way you're going to do what he did. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's di a bit different with, uh, through hiking too. Um, as you know, like, you know, a lot of people, they said there's the old saying and it's, it's a saying that 
people say today still like hike your own hike. If you want a yellow blaze on the AT or, or whatever on the PCT or CDT, I mean, that's your, you're hiking your own hike. Um, but when it comes to speed records and you're going to say, Hey, I have the fastest time on such and such trail. Um, you're going to have to adhere to <laughs> some standards. And I think that's the biggest thing because again, um, yeah, yellow blazing, it might not be cool with somebody who's a through hiker um, for somebody else. Like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. If you want to slack pack, you want to haul your pack um, for a section, get dropped off and, and just hike without one. I mean, again, these are just different ways people are doing things, but I think when it comes to speed records, um, you, know, you have to follow the trail. <laughs> you have to do every single inch of the trail. I mean, I remember Dave Horton telling me, he was always like, okay, I'm going to give you a piece of advice, you know, make sure when you finish at the end of the day, when you go to road crossing or a trailhead or where it is, go across to where the trail goes um, to that, you know, where the trail picks up because, you know, in the morning when you wake up, what if you go to the bathroom, you know, in a different, you know, trajectory or you, you pick up where he's like, always go to the other end. And so it sounds like something very picky and meticulous, but that was something that, again, I really hold myself to these standards. And I'm not saying that, you know, it, you know, everyone's going to follow that, but I'm a big believer. You got to cover every inch of the trail. You got to say what you're doing. I mean, there were a couple of times last time in 2015 where I went off trail. I mean, those that can look at my track that saw when the tracker was up could see that, um, I actually this year, um, I actually got turned around on the AT my first day. Um, there's a really tricky part in the, uh, hundred mile wilderness where the trail doubles back and it was nighttime. It was late at night. Cause I started a little bit later. Um, on purpose because Carl was like, Oh, you, you start a little later. <laughs> Actually you could, you know, gain a little time. Um, but the reality is I, um, was going along and what I thought was the continuation of a trail was just a, a side trail where somebody had put a little log bridge across this, uh, Creek bed. And, when I realized like I didn't see a blaze, I turned around and it was one spot where the AT actually goes north again. So it literally does this kind of like hairpin turn, almost like a switchback. And I didn't see the sign saying I was going actually the other direction. So I actually was repeating the same trail I was just on. Um, <laughs> and again, you know, I made sure I went right straight back to where I went off trail and all these things again, that in the middle of the night, people aren't watching this stuff unless you look at a GPS file. Um, but it, it's very important. So I'm just a believer in that. You got to cover every inch of the trail. Um, Excellent. That you're Scott. saying your set of record. Your leadership is very well appreciated and it's still very much in evidence. And just as an aside, an unofficial aside, since I can't make official announcements until we actually decide, we are definitely, we at uh, fastestknowntime.com are going to update our guidelines and, and adopt a more uh, particular and stringent policy regarding what we were just talking about. So thank you again for your leadership and your comments on this topic. And thank you for spending your time. This has been a delightful conversation. Well, thanks. It's been good to talk to you. I know it seems like now that you're out in the Midwest, I, I don't get to run into you in town. So it's uh, good, to, good to talk to you as well, even if it is about trail business, so to speak. I'll be back in October and I hope I see you then. 